Well, welcome to 2018, Susie. This is the first Gospel for Planet Earth podcast of 2018. Yay, 2018. Yay, yay, yay. So what have you done this year so far? <laughs> um, I cleaned my bathrooms, homeschooled my kids, took care of my baby. Mm-hmm. Speaking of uh, which. Painted a rock. You did. You did a nice job. Thank painted, you. For Painted Rock Academy, which is our local private school here, <laughs> as in our own children. Speaking of children and babies, we have one. This is Teresa Gessler's first time on the podcast. Mm-hmm. It's, Breathing heavily and snottily into the microphone. She has the first in. cold of 2018. So I'm excited for 2018. Does it matter to you? Does New Year's matter to you? Or it's just kind of like yes. another day? No, I I like the you know beginning of a new week on Sunday or the beginning of a new year or the first day of a new month. Like it's just, um, yeah, helps you feel like you have a fresh slate, clean start to something. Do you make New Year's resolutions? Um. Uh, yes and no. I mean, yes, because um, it it feels like a starting point for some things and kind of, like I said, like a clean slate or a fresh start, whether it's for eating healthier or um, getting some projects done or um, like a new focus on the kids' school and teaching them. Hmm. But um, I don't like write them down or... Um, well, I just kind of anticipate them falling to pieces. Aha. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I don't bother making them because they, I, I think they do kind of, it's kind of like religion. It's like I'm going to make myself a better person, yeah. follow some new yeah. rules, it can but be you're like not that, any yeah. more satisfied than when you began. Mm-hmm. And I think more than re- resolutions that we need uh, truth. I think, you know, Jesus said the truth will set us free. And when we have truth replacing lies, then we have freedom much more than um, just trying to will something and sometimes we succeed using willpower in meeting some goals but the uh the cost can be pretty high sometimes emotionally or uh, even physically depending on what those goals are and so i'm advocating for truth this new year Um, okay that sounds cool yeah well it's it works truth works freedom uh so i'm just dedicating this year to the lord and i would say though uh one of my frustrations is just that uh uh, I I make plans and my plans expand and sometimes fall apart and things rarely go like I planned exactly. Uh, sometimes I do and I, but, and I guess when they do I expect every time for it to happen that way and then it kind of surprises and frustrates me when it doesn't. But I mean last year was packed. Would you say last year was packed? Yeah. We did a lot last year. We went to many states. We uh, went to. We Watch. had a baby. We went. Yeah, we had a baby. We wow, we had that last year. <laughs> <laughs> you mean this little chunk in my arms? Wow. So we we had a busy 2017 and 2018. Uh, we already have plans in the works for traveling and stuff. And I do love to travel. But uh, today, I was just at the at the Walmart and uh, was talking to the cashier there. She was speaking to the person before me. Uh, she said. Uh, you know, uh, have a blessed day. And I asked her if she was a Christian and she said she was, but that she also had, she was baptized as a Mormon when she was 14. And then some personal circumstances, uh, she left that, um, that church and was part of a non-denominational church. Hmm. And, but I just got the impression that she didn't really know what the gospel was. And I was just hit with, wow, 
we really need people in our home where we can talk at length about these things rather than a flash in the pan kind of thing. Because the the sad fact is, I don't know where to invite someone like that. Because I don't think we, uh, we're always at a surface level in our churches as Mm -hmm. far as... And nobody wants to sit around on a hard pew and talk all day. You want to kick back in a house where you can have a cup of coffee and sit on the couch and talk about stuff and think about stuff. I think, too, though, a lot of times pastors uh, take for granted that people have at least a general knowledge about doctrine and theology and the Bible. People, I think, may have more uh, knowledge about theology and doctrine than they do about the Bible. But we do need to work harder, I believe, or be more intentional and focused about the preaching of the gospel. So in today's podcast, we are going to hear Jesus begin to preach the gospel as he gives his first recorded sermon in Luke 4. But actually, it's not. It's just like a snidbit. And then people try to throw him over a cliff. Oh, yeah. That would be an exciting Sunday, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this was a Saturday because they were Jewish and and stuff like that so uh then we have uh the cutting edge and on uh, this saturday though tune in if you uh, are a facebook user like the page the gospel for planet earth and you will see a live interview that i'm going to do with the recording rap artist parks p-a-r-x-x cool. yeah good music that's at 10 a.m on saturday on facebook the gospel for planet earth and then it'll later be on one of these here podcasts as well but for now, buckle up, get ready for Luke chapter 4. You tell him, Teresa. <laughs> Jesus returned from the Jordan filled with the Spirit. The Spirit took him off into the wilderness for 40 days to be tested by the devil. He ate nothing during that time, and at the end of it he was hungry. If you are God's son, said the devil, tell the stone to become a loaf of bread. It is written, replied Jesus, it takes more than bread to keep you alive. The devil then took him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. I will give you authority over all of this, said the devil, and all the prestige that goes with it. It's been given to me, you see, and I can give it to anyone I like, so it can all be yours, if you will just worship me. It is written, replied Jesus, the Lord your God is the one you must serve. He is the only one you must serve. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and stood him on a pinnacle of the temple. If you are God's son, he said, Throw yourself down from here. It is written, He will give his angels a command about you to look after you, and they will carry you in their hands so that you won't hit your foot against a stone. It has been said, replied Jesus, you mustn't put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished each temptation, he left him until another opportunity. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Word about him went out throughout the whole district. He taught in their synagogues and gained a great reputation all around. He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. On the Sabbath, as was his regular practice, he went into the synagogue and stood up to read. They gave him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me, to tell the poor the good news. He has sent me to announce release to the prisoners and sight to the blind, and to set the wounded victims free, to announce the year of God's special favor. He rolled up the scroll gave it to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him. Today, he began, this scripture is fulfilled in your own hearing. Everyone remarked at him. They were astonished at the words coming out of his mouth, words of sheer grace. Isn't this Joseph's son? they said. I know what you're going to say, Jesus said. You're going to tell me the old riddle. Heal yourself, doctor. 
We heard of great happenings in Capernaum. Do things like that here in your own country. Let me tell you the truth, he went on. Prophets never get accepted in their own country. This is the solemn truth. There were plenty of widows in Israel in the time of Elijah when heaven was shut up for three years and six months, and there was a great famine over all the land. Elijah was sent to none of them, only to a widow in the Sidonian town of Zarephath. And there were plenty of people with virulent skin diseases in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was healed, only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue flew into a rage. They got up and threw him out of town. They took him to the top of the mountain on which their town was built, meaning to fling him off. But he slipped through the middle of them and went away. Jesus went down to Capernaum, a town of Galilee. He used to teach them every Sabbath. They were astonished at his teaching, because his message was powerful and authoritative. There was a man in the synagogue who had the spirit of an unclean demon. "'Hey, you!' he yelled at the top of his voice. "'What's going on with you and me, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're God's Holy One.' "'Shut up!' Jesus rebuked him. "'Come out of him!' The demon threw the man down right there in front of them, and came out without harming him. Fear came over them all. "'What's all this?' they started to say to one another. "'He's got power. He's got authority. He tells the unclean spirits what to do, and they come out.' Word about him went out into the whole surrounding region. He left the synagogue and went into Simon's house. Simon's mother-in-law was sick with a high fever, and they asked him about her. He stood in front of her, rebuked the fever, and it left her, and straight away she got up and waited on them. When the sun went down, everyone who had sick people, all kinds of sicknesses, brought them to him. He laid his hands on each one in turn and healed them. Demons came out of many people, shouting out, "'You are the Son of God!' He sternly forbade them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. When day dawned, he left the town and went off to a deserted place. The crowds hunted for him, and when they caught up with him, they begged him not to leave them. I must tell the good news of God's kingdom to other towns, he said. That's what I was sent for. And he was announcing the message to the synagogues of Judea. Last week we heard about Jesus' baptism through John, his anointing as king, his sharing in the suffering of his people as Israel's representative, as the Messiah. He was baptized into the story of Israel passing through the Jordan. Uh, And now Luke tells us that Jesus, the first thing he does after this anointing is to go out into the wilderness for 40 days. And clearly Luke wants us to see this in parallel to Israel going into the wilderness for 40 years to be tested in their own way. Of course, Israel went into the wilderness to be tested because of their unbelief. They passed through the wilderness in the first place on their way to the promised land, but because they lacked the faith to go into the promised land uh, when God told them to, then they wandered in the desert for 40 years. Jesus, of course, has not uh, sinned in a way that he would need to go uh, wandering through the wilderness, but he's going out to be tested. I think it's fair to say Jesus went out to test himself. Jesus Uh, is in his 30s now, or around 30 years old, and he knows that he has a calling. Jesus has been aware of his vocation, his calling, from at least 12 years old when he was in the temple after being left behind by his parents during Passover, and he told them, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? He knew he had a a call on his life, and now uh, at about 30 years of age, it was time for him to do what God was calling him to do. So he goes down and he's baptized, publicly declared the Messiah by his cousin, John the Baptist. He goes into the wilderness to meditate on what his next step will be. How do you be a Messiah? 
And this isn't because nobody has ever thought about a messiah before as though he's inventing a category out of midair. It's actually because there are lots of ideas of what the messiah should be like. And Jesus had to figure out which one was God's calling. For some of us, putting it like this may seem uncomfortable. Wasn't Jesus already God? So why would he have to wrestle with this kind of thing? Well, it's true that Jesus is and was God, uh, but he was also fully fully man. Uh, sometimes I think in here in the, our Western tradition, we think of Jesus as being fully God and seemingly looking like man, but he was fully God and fully man, and he had to wrestle with questions that men have to wrestle with. When we come to this first temptation of Christ, when Satan says to him, if you're the son of God, command that these stones become bread, we hear in that a challenge to Jesus's deity. But I think that is a mistake. Jesus didn't come claiming to be the second person of the Trinity, even though he is. That was not on the table as, a, as an issue to debate. Jesus came claiming to be the Messiah, the one who would deliver Israel and bring her, her history and the history of the world where it was always intended to go, to a place of redemption, of God redeeming his people and his creation. In the Western world, we already have a pretty good imagination of what we think God to be like. We generally think of him as an old white man with white hair, sitting on a cloud who does supernatural things, sending lightning bolts here or doing a miracle there. And we imagine that as his son, Jesus also would be coming and doing supernatural things like turning stones into pieces of bread and things like that. And so we imagine that Satan is testing Jesus's divinity. But I think it would help us get the picture a little more clear if we would, for a minute, try to not think of Jesus as God, but think of God as Jesus. The challenge that I believe Satan is making to Jesus in this temptation is a challenge to his identity as the Messiah. Certainly, as God's Messiah, he shouldn't be out here starving in the wilderness. Of course, Jesus went into the wilderness to fast and pray over his vocation, and so this temptation would be a little more acute. When Israel herself was tested with hunger in their time in the wilderness, they failed the test, saying, were there not enough graves in Egypt that you had to bring us out here to starve to death? Uh, but Jesus doesn't respond that way. He says, man doesn't live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And by this, Jesus was saying that there's more to life than merely surviving materially. He says that life comes from God and from obedience to him. Next, Satan tempts Jesus with all the kingdoms of the world, saying this can all be yours if you just worship me. And the reason that this is tempting to Jesus is because this is what belongs to the Messiah. Psalm 2 spoke of the Messiah in these terms, saying, As for me, meaning God, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. So there's that term, you are my son. That's what Satan is testing Jesus on, saying, well, if you uh, are really God's son, don't all these things belong to you? Why are you considering this path of self-sacrifice? Why not just follow me? Uh, and, and I can just give it to you. He says it's been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I wish. And Jesus doesn't dispute him on that, uh, but says that you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I think tied up with the temptation to turn the stone in, into bread is this idea that Satan is saying to Jesus, you don't need to go, this, this idea of self-sacrifice that you seem to have. Why should the Messiah go without food? And now here's the kingdoms of the world, and it seems that Satan already knows 
what's in Jesus's mind as far as how he's going to accomplish this goal of claiming all the nations as his own. And he's saying, no, no, don't, don't, don't consider that. You follow me and, and I'll give, give it to you easy. Luke has not yet told us Jesus's messianic vision as how he saw his vocation being fulfilled, but that's going to unfold shortly as the gospel progresses. Finally, Satan takes Jesus to the top of the temple and tells him to throw himself off because doesn't the Bible say that God won't let anything happen to you? The angels will catch you in their hands so that you don't even strike your foot against a stone. And again, the temptation here, why should the Messiah suffer? Luke hasn't yet revealed to us Jesus' vision, but Satan seems to already know it and is tempting Jesus to take a different way, a way that is more natural seeming to us, but it was not God's way. In Deuteronomy 6 and 7, God's expectation for the covenant people of Israel is kind of laid out. And in each case, Jesus responds with the way the fa- a faithful covenant member should respond to these temptations. He says that man shall not live by bread alone, that you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve, and you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So right away, the Messiah representing the people of Israel, he, goes bapt- he gets baptized into their story, and he succeeds where Israel failed. And as he, as he passes his test, Satan leaves him until an, an opportune time. This is where the ba- Jesus' main battle has already been fought and won. And Jesus is now going to leave the wilderness with power and authority because he's already passed the main test. And the rest is going to be, uh, I don't want to say downhill from here, but this, the, the war has already been won. The rest will just be battles. A couple of questions that I used to have about this whole passage, although I never really articulated it until now, but they were always there, it was if Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days, and these were the only temptations that Jesus faced, what did he do with the rest of his time in the wilderness? And then the other question is, if Jesus was in the wilderness, then how was he up on the temple being tempted to throw himself off? And so we've been taught to read the Bible in a very flat way, I think, many times, just face value, uh, and we're not really allowed to be look at the text critically, which I understand the fear of that because many times people who have considered themselves critical scholars have come up with all sorts of reasons why we shouldn't trust or believe the things found in the Bible, why they really didn't happen, and maybe uh, they're just made up by whoever. Um, so it's understandable that people are afraid of that idea of looking at the Bible critically, but I believe what we miss the three dimensions, and we miss a lot of the Bible by not thinking about it critically. And in this case, uh, we should consider that Luke is not telling us a play-by-play of what happened in the wilderness. I I have always imagined it as though Jesus was kind of having this one-on-one conversation with Satan in the wilderness. And like I said, if there were just three temptations, then uh, that would be over fairly quickly, and you'd have maybe 39 days left to, uh, to kill time. Uh, but what Jesus went out in the wilderness to do is to wrestle with all the different ideas of what it meant to be the Messiah. And these voices that Jesus is hearing about throwing himself off the temple or turning stones into bread, these are all the things that people would have expected the Messiah to do and many others. These weren't, I, I don't think we should limit Jesus's temptation to these three, but Jesus went out into the wilderness to meditate. What is it going to be like when he comes back and, and announces God's kingdom? And we're going to find out what his conclusion is here in the second half of this chapter. So Luke tells us that Jesus returns to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And he told us in the first place that Jesus went into the wilderness 
being filled with the Spirit after his baptism. And in our culture, there has been many debates within the church about when is someone filled with the Spirit, because certain denominations uh, call something the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, a special experience that we have in the Holy Spirit where uh, you come to know God in a deeper and more intimate way. And other people from other denominations have wanted to say, no, no, you have all that you're going to get of the Holy Spirit when you first give your life to the Lord. But I just think it's worth noting that Jesus, who is God's Son, is said to be going out into the wilderness filled with the Spirit. And Luke wouldn't tell us that unless that's a particular feel- filling. So, I mean, Jesus obviously had the Holy Spirit before he went into the wilderness. He had the Holy Spirit since the day he was born. But in this way, he he was filled in a particular way as he went into the wilderness. And now as he comes back after his testing, it says he's filled with the, the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think what we should understand about this is that after wrestling, first Jesus receives his vocation and he accepts, this is my calling, this is what I'm going to do. And he goes out into the wilderness to make that calling firm. And then when he comes through, having passed through the temptations and the trials and the wrestlings, he knows exactly what God has called him to do. He's firm in that conviction. And that firmness of resolve, that firmness of conviction is uh, an extra measure of the Holy Spirit filling him and making sure, making firm this calling of his as he enters into his ministry. And that's an important thing for us. Many times we don't have that same filling of the Holy Spirit because we haven't been willing really to wrestle with God's calling on our lives. What has God called us to do? What has God made us to be? We need to wrestle with those questions. And when we really do pass through the wrestling, and it will be a wrestling, it's not like that's going to be easy if if you're really dealing with what God has called you to. Uh, when, once we, when we wrestle with that and come out of it, we will come out with a firmness uh, and a, f- a special filling of the Holy Spirit that will equip us to do the task God has called us to. So as Jesus comes back into town, he comes and announces that this is it. Now we're kicking off the movement. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to to tell the poor the good news. He sent me to announce release to the prisoners and sight to the blind, to set the wounded victims free, to announce the year of God's special favor. Luke doesn't tell us all of Jesus' sermon all of his message that he was giving in the synagogue. But he does say in verse 22 that everyone was remarking at him and they were astonished at the words coming out of his mouth, words of sheer grace. And N.T. Wright suggested in his commentary that Jesus was, uh, the in his message, he was offering grace to the whole world and he was offering it to people that many within Israel didn't think should be receiving it. And this is that question that has been throughout Luke's gospel so far, Who is considered to be a true Israelite? Who is in? Who is out? This question has been present at least since Simeon found Jesus as a baby in the temple and said that this child is appointed for the rise and fall of many in Israel. John the Baptist was in the wilderness calling people to repentance. He was calling Israelites to repentance, saying, in effect, if you don't repent, you're not going to benefit from what God is going to do. You won't, I don't care if you're children of Abraham by blood. God can raise up children from these stones to be children of Abraham. You must be ready in your heart to be the true children of Abraham. And now when Jesus comes out of the wilderness, he announces good news for the poor. He announces release to the prisoners. He announces sight to the blind and to set the wounded victims free. And apparently, from, from what he was saying, his words of sheer grace... Some people didn't like the people that were being set free, those who were receiving uh, sight 
Uh, he, some people didn't like the people who were receiving God's special favor, and they objected, saying, Who is this? Isn't this just Joseph's son? And here we see the strange dividing line that happens between those who are in the kingdom of God and those who are outside of it. Jesus hasn't come to exclude anybody. You know, uh, John 3.16 says that God so loved the world. This, he came for the whole world. The angel said this is good news for all people. But there are going to be some people who don't want this good news. And in this little story in Luke's gospel, we find Jesus not excluding anybody, but simply warning them, saying, some of you are going to reject me. It's not that God is going to find people he, don't, he doesn't like. People are going to find a God that they don't like in Jesus. And Jesus warns the people with a, a story from their own prophets, saying, remember in the days of Elijah when there was a famine over the whole world? The only person that received blessing and provision from God's prophet was a Gentile and her son. And you remember the days of Elisha when there were many people who had skin diseases in Israel, but the only one who was healed was Naaman the Syrian, a Gentile. Jesus is saying to his hometown, the Messiah is here, but you may not benefit from it because of your expectation of what the Messiah should be like. And as a result, the blessing may go to others, those whom you think should not inherit the blessing. It's easy to look down our noses at those in history who have rejected Jesus, but we are susceptible to doing the very same thing. When God isn't what we thought he should be, uh, many times we react to God violently as well. Jesus' sermon in the synagogue is not something I think that was unusual. Uh, going to the synagogue was uh, similar in, in many ways, I believe, to our modern uh, habit of going to church on Sunday and hearing a sermon. Uh, but they were they focused, I think, more on the reading of Scripture. But sometimes people would get up and teach as well. But the difference in what Jesus was doing was his authority. He was announcing that the day is here, the day we've been waiting for, it's here. Not only is it here, I'm going to make it happen. And he proceeds to do that um, as he begins to cast out demons without any real struggle over it. He just tells them, shut up, get out of here, go, and they go. This is because Jesus knows who he is. He knows where his authority, authority comes from. It comes from his time in the wilderness, too, of testing and being sure this is who I am. This is what God has called me to be. And so I'm going to do it in the power of his spirit. I think verse 38 is significant when it says that he entered into Simon's house, Simon Peter, and Simon's mother-in-law was sick with a high fever. And Jesus heals her, and it says that she got up and began to wait on them. And this is what we're called to do. When Jesus comes to us and touches us and says, get up, get up from the dead, uh, then we wake up and we get up to serve him. That's what we were made to do. And naturally, the crowds want, them to want Jesus to stay with them for longer, but he says he must continue on to tell all the towns the good news of God's kingdom. And in the long history of Israel, the year of that announcement is a favorable year indeed. This is The Cutting Edge. What you know about faith, boy? What you know about picking up your cross, boy? What you know about giving now you got till it ain't nothing left but the breath in your chest. This week's Cutting Edge, we're going to again be hearing from Watch and, Watch and Pray Ministries, which was started by Gatana Gatana. And Gatana will be our... Um, he will be our guest on The Cutting Edge next week as we will be sharing his message from our November missions conference. Uh, but today this is just a, a story from their newsletter. Uh, in Ethiopia, Gatana got to baptize a Muslim man that had persecuted Christians. His name is Ahmad, and previously he had burned seven churches, persecuted and killed believers. 
He heard about Muhammad, a Muslim background believer who was evangelizing and being used by the Lord in a mighty way. So this man, Muhammad, also used to be Muslim, but he came to the Lord and was now uh, an evangelist for Christ. Ahmed rounded up a group that got high on chat, something similar to cocaine, and started out to burn Muhammad's church and kill him. While singing, shouting, and waving his machete with his group, he was struck by lightning. Amazingly, he was not killed, but he was left mute. He signaled to his group to take him home. Then, upon arrival, he wrote a note that he wanted Muhammad to be brought to him. Although concerned for his safety, Muhammad went anyway and began praying for Ahmed. While praying, his speech returned. Ahmed told Muhammad that the lightning that from the lightning he heard a voice that said, Why are you persecuting me? He asked, Who are you? The voice replied, I am Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and I want to use you among your people to bring the true religion and to tell about me. I chose you while you were in your mother's womb. He has now started ten churches inside of mosques and witnesses daily to reach the Muslim population. Praise God. This actually may sound suspicious to some people because the voice that uh, this Muslim man heard were, were like quotes from the Bible. But this has been uh, a testimony that I've heard many times. People who have no knowledge of the scriptures whatsoever uh, hear Jesus in a vision quote the Bible to them, which is very fascinating. Again, it's a reminder of the way that uh, Jesus changes lives, delivering someone from being uh, someone who burns Christians to someone who seeks to make people Christians. And that's an awesome testimony. So don't miss next week when we hear from Gatana himself as he shares stories from the front line. Well, Susie, 2018, the first week of it is virtually in the books. So are you ready to start the next week? I don't really have a choice, but yes, I am. That's true. At least, though, you have a choice whether or not to listen to this here podcast. So I ch- I suggest that you choose to do so because okay. it will make your life so much better. Thank you. And it'll make it my life better if you like it and share it and comment below. Okay. So thanks for listening. And next week, we are going to be hearing uh, from a special guest after uh, Luke, Luke's Gospel. We're going to be hearing from Gitana. From Watch and Pray Ministries, who uh, shared at our missions conference earlier uh, in November of 2017. Ah, okay. And uh, so it looks like uh, Teresa's got a talk, so I guess we better say goodbye. Goodbye. Bye, Teresa. No, you're supposed to say goodbye, Suze. Goodbye, Suze. Goodbye.